Warning, this episode contains strong language, the use of the N-word, and descriptive themes of violence. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm Akemini. I'm Michelle. And I'm Christina. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, sisters. Hey. How y'all doing? <laughs> y'all hit Michelle. <laughs> well, I feel like I need a soundtrack for that. We need yes. to do like three-part harmony. Oh, we need wow. to do that. <laughs> Remix, remix. <laughs> oh, I loved listening to our Mother's Day episodes. Sometimes you forget what oh. you said on an episode when you've recorded it weeks in advance. Yes. So it's really cool to listen yes. back and see people's oh, yeah. interactions as well. That was good. Oh, that was a good episode. And Michelle, you just you just started just going all spoken word poet. She did. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, oh my goodness, is she, is she making it? Is she freestyling right now? <laughs> Is she reading from a book? Where is she reading Wow. I was like, dang. Yeah, she was like, you're my anchor in the eye of the storm. I was like, what? I was, I was like, well, what am I going to say about my mama? Look, I was like, what about my mama too? I just don't say it like that. Like, I know. I just was like, mother, I love you. Thank you. Thank you for being my mother. Goodbye. So mad. I didn't have no poetry now, Michelle. <laughs> You the one that said, let's write a greeting card. I, know, I was like, I, I didn't, look, I didn't know I was going to set off just this, this, this fabulousness, Michelle. Yes. <laughs> I was like, dang, this is beautiful. This was, no, I love that episode. That That is my favorite uh, episode so far, y'all. Yeah, it was good stuff. It really is. Like, it, it even made me cry. And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, that was my, my inner, part. yeah, my inner thug got some freedom that day. <laughs> <laughs> Thugs cry. Thugs cry. We do. We do. So, I am. I'm really, really excited about what we are going to talk about um, today because um, May 19th is Malcolm X Day, y'all. So. Um, as you guys know, communities around the U.S. celebrate Malcolm X each year on his birthday, which is May 19th. Um, he was born Malcolm Little. When he converted to Islam through the Nation of Islam, he became Malcolm X. And later on in his life, after disavowing the Nation of Islam and after taking the Hajj, he became El Hajj Malik El Shabazz. Now, Brother Malcolm was a Muslim minister and human rights activist, and we here at Truth Table believe that we can learn from someone who consciously identified as a Muslim. Uh, his lowercase lower t, truth, came through common grace. So this is what we were talking about, y'all, when we uh, gave our intro episode about receipts. We were serious about that. Learning from everybody, believers, unbelievers, so we're going to bring, everybody's going to come to the table. And so we are bringing Brother Malcolm to the table today. Now, there's a couple of ways we could go around about this. We could go historical. We could talk about his anti-racist pedagogy. There's a, just a lot of different ways we could go about it. But I think, you know, we'll see what happens. But, but we could, I, I think it would be good for us to start off with our own personal connection uh, to Malcolm X and, and what 
uh, what, why is it important for us to talk about him? Why bring Malcolm X to the table? And if you notice, he's actually the first man that we've actually brought to the table um, that didn't have, you know, we brought James Baldwin by okay. way of the I Am Not Your Negro documentary, mm-hmm. but sure. he, he really is the first man that we're actually bringing to the table. So so why is that? What is our connection uh, to, to Malcolm X? And any one of y'all can jump in on that. Yeah, when I was growing up, there there was never a lack of discussion or even sort of playful banter mm-hmm. about Malcolm. And I think mm. part of that is growing <laughs> up in a black household, a certain time, uh, any time after, uh, especially after his assassination, he became um, what James Baldwin really brought out in his unfinished work. Malcolm became one of the witnesses gone ahead yeah. of us um, in in consciousness and radicalism and really the freedom struggle Malcolm and Martin really reconciling in mm-hmm. as many ways as possible um, mm-hmm. and showing themselves friendly to each other that was yeah. a witness to black yeah. people on either quote-unquote side of the struggle for for liberation and for mm-hmm. human rights and so growing up in a household that was we was at church for five and a half hours a day, y'all. I'm not even kidding. I mean, y'all seven was really days a week. We large five and a half hours a day. And my parents <laughs> never had a problem putting Malcolm's autobiography in my hand, turning on that movie with Denzel Washington and them sure. zoot suits at the beginning. I mean, <laughs> in the perm, in the perm. The Lord, oh my God. The cock, the cock. The That's right. That's Which right. Which was a lie. <laughs> And so there was just a level of blackness that people of a certain age were ushered into. A little bit of knowing and loving Malcolm, like he's your family, is part of the coming of age story for a lot of African Americans. And Mm -hmm. so my my experience isn't that much different, even as a Pentecostal church kid. Coming of age meant you know Malcolm, you respect Malcolm, you mourn that he was no longer with us. You call him Brother Malcolm. Yeah, you and, do. Uh, and all your friends was dying their hair red when Malcolm <laughs> X came out. So that's just how it went. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. What about you, C? You know, Malcolm X in some ways to me represents like, um, like on a fam- from a familial context, right? He represents the cousin who's like incredibly smart and uh, is a straight shooter um, and can call out things, particularly as it relates to the church, right? Who won't step foot into the church. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, who's just really good at, at really like diagnosing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, um, right, right. And, and honestly, it's, to me, it's very similar to what I, what, how I experience uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, right? This mm-hmm. very similar um, ability to diagnose what is broken and what's jacked up. Um, and I think I lament that those spaces really still do continue to be a stumbling block, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so my experience of Malcolm X, I think I can't even remember when I first read the autobiography of Malcolm X. I mean, I was a kid. Like, I was mm-hmm. a kid mm-hmm. kid. Um, and it was just one of the many books amongst my parents' collection of black works. And... Um, and I remember, I remember it like really enjoying it, like, like, like mm-hmm. being able to kind of right. get immersed in this story and this narrative and being able to, 
kind of see this person bubble up. At the same time, I would do a lot of reading of people like Langston Hughes and Mm -hmm. um, another person who did not identify as a Christian, right? And so, um, Mm -hmm. but also a fabulous diagnostician. And and so just at that time, I just, I enjoyed the words. I could see these people kind of come to life off of the page. And then of course, um, you know, in Baltimore where I grew up, when the... (laughs) When the movie came out, the Malcolm X movie came out, (laughs) I mean, like everybody had like Malcolm X outfits. I'm talking about like Kente Mm -hmm. cloth, matching shorts and Mm -hmm. slouch socks and a big X on your chest. Um, Mm -hmm. So at at the school I went to. And the Doc Martens. Hello. I mean, the school was like 97% black. I mean, everybody had Malcolm X gear. As a matter of fact, the white kids probably had Malcolm X hats when I'm thinking about it. I mean, because that's how that's how satiated that cultural yeah. context was um, it, within that kind of Malcolm X memorabilia at that time. And so I just, um, yeah, I just appreciated his ability to be a diagnostician of what he was seeing. Mm-hmm. And it exposed me, I think growing up in a black city, um, you know, I was I was around members of, you know, Nation of Islam, more... Um, more traditional Muslims as well. So I, I had been around black folk who represent every religious tradition possible growing up in a black city. So not everybody went to the local Baptist, black Baptist church. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that in some ways that's a blessing because I know that black people religiously aren't a monolith. Um, right. And it also, I think helped to strengthen an ability to want to connect, wanting to understand different perspectives. And I think those things actually help to sharpen my own faith as a Christian. Mm. Yeah, what about you miss um you know for me when i think about you know brother malcolm i mean he really does hold a very special place in my heart because i for me i learned um how to brother malcolm taught me how to love myself mm. um as a, a dark-skinned woman who hated her skin um hated herself uh, um, and I, I think about his speech about, you know, who taught you to hate yourself, you know, um, uh, which is a legitimate question that still, sure. you know, rings true even today. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that really registered, you know, with me, uh, because that, I mean, he just hit me right between the eyes with that. And it's something, mm-hmm. it, it was from him that I learned, you know, that my black is beautiful. Um, and, and that I should not despise you know, my melanin, uh, which was something, which was a message that I was getting, you know, from the media, from friends, from black friends, right? Because we internalize this racism um, and it manifests itself in colorism. And uh, he also struggled with colorism as well, right? Because his mom did not favor favor the darker skin mm-hmm. children actually over him, uh, over him right because sure, he was the light sure. one and the mm-hmm. mom was light and so there's a whole thing there yeah, you know? absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> there's a whole there's a whole thing there but but I, I, I so I always uh cherish Malcolm um be, because of partly because of that I also loved his autobiography it's one of my favorite books uh, so growing up, I remember just picking up Malcolm X, uh, the autobiography, cause it was there on the bookshelf, like, right. right in every right. black household, Malcolm's <laughs> going to be on the bookshelf. And so, uh, and I remember picking it up and reading it for fun. I think I was in seventh grade. I want to say I was about <laughs> in seventh grade reading it because I didn't see myself in the curriculum. They didn't mm-hmm. teach us black history. That's um, right. 
you know, growing up in California and predominantly white spaces, they were not teaching us our history. And so, um, so I knew I had to make a conscious decision to teach myself. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, yeah, I picked up that book. I remember picking up Toni Morrison, like all this stuff that was on sure. the bookshelf at my mom's house. I mean, at, at home and read that. Um, and I was just really gripped, um, by the autobiography and it really stayed with me. So that was something that was huge. And I think just growing up in the nineties, like y'all said, right. There was black consciousness was high, you know, and I know it, this whole wokeness, even though I know woke looks like dead now. Right. Cause you know, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right. You know, but there was something deep about the black consciousness movement in the nineties, uh, that I don't think can be replicated. I think people in this generation have tried to liken, you know, um, some of what this wokeness is to that. And I think it's just in a whole different sphere. I mean, we had television, we had music, we had clothes. Okay. Cross colors. Anybody FUBU <laughs> toward the end, you know, um, and Malcolm X hats, you know, we had uh, public enemy. I mean, there, there was just a different time. Okay. So to be growing up the way that we did, I mean, let's see, we were, elementary school, (laughs) you know, when a lot of this was popping off. And so we were really, um, immersed in this and, you know, and Malcolm X's, uh, the, the document, well, not documentary, I'm sorry, the movie might as well been a documentary. It was so good. That's how we treated it. it. Facts. Okay. (laughs) Came out in 92. Denzel can act. act, Spike can direct, you know, uh, you know, and so, yeah, so in 92, I was 10. What? I mean, like, yeah. that That movie is just so, I, I just love that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite, one of my favorites, hands down. Um, of course, I own it. You know, I watch it at least once or twice a year, that color purple and all the rest, you know. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it's just something that really resonated. And um, and I think in some ways, uh, he, he uh, I don't know, his, his, his um, I, I think he finally got the roses that that he was due in the 90s wow. um, because I think in some ways like I think we were saying off the mic and I'll say it here I just feel like there is uh there is a shame I think that some black people feel when it comes to Michael as if they have to explain him mm-hmm. away or oh I don't know if I like you know um in order to gain enhanced racial standing which is what Derek Bell talks about in his mm-hmm. book on faces in the bottom of the well. And I don't believe in apologizing for, from Malcolm X, you know, um, we're all flawed. What's new. Hello. Like, you know, like, but I, I mean, I, he, he did so much for me personally, um, as a black woman. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I felt like he saw me, you know, and that, and that meant everything for me as one who's, who struggles with not feeling seen and who has felt that way all her life. And so that, that, so Malcolm, yeah, brother Malcolm just has a special place in my heart. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I don't know any, any other thoughts about Malcolm and just kind of like other quotes or, or things that you're carrying yeah, about you know, what's, now. Yeah. What's interesting mm-hmm. when I think about Malcolm X and I've joked with other people about this too, I'm sure somebody's written on it. I just haven't read it. So I'm going to give credit to somebody out there who's already written on it. But, um, you know, when you talked about kind of what we would look at as kind of like a reverse colorism, the overcompensation yeah. Oh, right. of, yeah, yeah the, it really what you find mm-hmm. is an overcompensation of light-skinned Blacks mm, yes. um, to, to, to uh, validate Black identity to other Black people. Right. So, yes. Wow. or yeah. as, or within their skin tone being a representation of historical unwanted sexual advances, right? So yes, 
when we look at someone like a Malcolm X or an Angela Davis or Harry Belafonte, you have these historical light-skinned figures <laughs> who in some who embody black radicalness. Even look at some of the, you know, um, some of the Panthers, right? These are very, quote-unquote, fair-skinned, light-skinned people. Oh, yeah. yeah. I and just I just think it's a, a fascinating, fascinating narrative. And you can even see throughout maybe the last 60 years or so, these uh, red-haired, freckled-faced black mm-hmm. people <laughs> pushing mm-hmm. into p- spaces with a very robust black identity definition and construct. Yeah. Um, and in many ways, putting themselves almost like as contemporary uh, plessies, right? People that can kind of pass or move in between white and black spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to say like, nope, I don't want the privileges um, by pro- proximity to whiteness. As a mm-hmm. matter of fact, I'm going to re- reject it in a radical way. Yes. And so in yeah. some ways, I, I mean, he, I feel like in many ways, Malcolm X really deeply embodies that when you think about this freckle face, mm-hmm. red haired black guy mm-hmm. <laughs> right oh no doubt right no doubt. um but but yet being yet being the radical not not necessarily dr king right not right so um mm-hmm. and so I, i've always found that fan fascinating and putting him that in conversation with people like an angela davis right and others um and so and even as me as a person with what's considered a light-skinned skin did it did skin tones you light skinned it right i just i just i just think it's really really interesting um that kind of what i would consider like a malcolm x syndrome um of light-skinned black people who overcompensate in blackness um and radical black identities who push into those spaces um and really kind of push back and deny privileges of proximity to whiteness yeah, yeah, for better yeah. or worse. For really. better or for worse, yeah. for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, for some of them, uh, what does it look like really? So Angela Davis is one person who, when we were talking earlier about, uh, Christina was saying ta Coates, and um, there are other right. modern-day people who diagnose well, but um, they won't necessarily come near to uh, religious mm-hmm. spaces that are sure. really involved with white folks. I think Angie is another person who is radical and you do have to wonder how much of their radicalism has come from the presumption that they desire to enjoy the privileges Mm -hmm. that come from proximity. I mean, um, even the fame or the little Time Magazine features back when both Malcolm and, and the Panthers were all over the news all the time. They talk about these people are lovely or Malcolm X so handsome. <laughs> right, how, right, right. Uh, white feature writers would describe them. And right. they were unhappy with that. Yeah, you know, for that's sure. Not, yeah. They, wanted, they wanted people to point to Baldwin, uh, to point to their dark-skinned brothers and sisters and yeah. see beauty. And so I don't, I don't know if that overcompensation, as much as it might have hindered them emotionally, mm-hmm. it, it definitely helped to identify them with anyone who might mistrust them because of our deeply embedded colorism. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. The, one of the things that I wonder about that particular mindset, uh, it's got to go hand in hand with some of Malcolm's biggest principles, right? So the refusal to place peace ahead of liberation. Absolutely. Like you cannot keep the peace among oppressed people. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. He said that mm-hmm. um, at least, I mean, in every other speech, All he was alluding time, yeah. to it. How mm-hmm. are you supposed to mm-hmm. claim to bring peace 
to people who are in chains and mm-hmm. any, any person who believes that that is possible. And he would say has not read the Holy scriptures. He was talking about the Quran, but I see very similar things in our scriptures. I see reconciliation coming after salvation. And I just wonder, I just wonder that even in the simultaneous process of God sanctifying us to himself, does that not allow me to better see my neighbor? Mm-hmm. When I have been liberated from my own sin and from my own foolishness, uh, m- might it be possible that reconciliation uh, in that horizontal aspect, person to person, is made possible only by a realization of who I am before God? Colorism, the same. Mm. Um, arguments and emotional discrepancies, the same. Our disdain for each other is directly challenged by God's love for all of us. Mm. And so there are clear pathways, little T truth, right? Like we say, Mm -hmm. where Malcolm Mm -hmm. is talking about, don't try to keep the peace on folks who are going to revolt and rise up. We also have to wonder if I'm in chains, then I need the gospel preached to me so that I might forgive and know myself as free even before my physical liberty. And so that's, that's something that's always inspired me about his words as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he just, um, what I, I, what else I loved about him is that he put a high premium on truth, um, Mm -hmm. a high premium on it. Um, and yes, he, he did not sit, submit to the one who is truth, right? Jesus Christ. Right. And yet because mm-hmm. of common grace, he would hit on truth. Right. Sure. And so, sure. um, and so he would put a, so you couldn't have truth like, like very, you, you had, he, he would not let you be comfortable with white supremacy and he would not <laughs> let white people be comfortable in their racism. And that, <laughs> yeah. that made people uncomfortable and people yep. didn't like you know, um, having to face the mirror. And that is what Malcolm, brother Malcolm was a walking mirror, you know, and making people look at themselves. Um, and I mean, I would imagine that he, he, you know, I I would imagine he probably wouldn't be surprised by 45's regime right now. Um, (laughs) because people have not (laughs) respected, you know, people have not respected, um, uh, uh, or, or accepted, anti-racism mm-hmm. work as a means of grace. I say this often because truth, right? <laughs> you right. know, capital yeah. T truth will set you free. And as you said, Michelle, salvation, mm-hmm. peace does not come before salvation. And salvation mm-hmm. does not come without truth. The That's confession right. that you are a sinner mm-hmm. in need of salvation and your only righteousness is found in Jesus Christ. That is truth. Unless you, unless you accept that and confess that, you cannot right? Be saved and be in Christ, period. Um, and then horizontally, right? We need to be truthful about what's, what's what. Mm. And so, um, and I, I, that's one thing I I really, really appreciated about, about brother Malcolm. Obviously we care about truth because that's why it's called truth table. And so, (laughs) hello, you know, but I realized though that truth tellers do not, um, they don't live long on this earth typically by and large, that truth tellers do not, um, uh, enjoy the, the fruits of longevity mm. because people cannot abide truth. They prefer fantasy mm-hmm. over reality. Um, and so that's something that I really admired um, about Malcolm. And I remember there was a quote that there's a lot of quotes that I love from him. Um, <laughs> but I remember him saying, I am for truth no matter who tells it. I'm for justice yeah. no matter who it is for mm-hmm. or against. 
Now that's a mm. word for our client. Wow. <laughs> that is a word, right? Because right now it's like, only if so-and-so my approved people say this, will I accept it? And if these people say Uh-oh. it, then I don't Uh-oh. accept it. But guess what? A broken clock is right twice a day, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it don't, we need to be able to accept truth from whoever it comes from. Um, you know, because that, that, and then we can actually be moving forward and actually progressing in some way rather than regressing, which is what we're doing now because mm-hmm. we want to kumbaya over the blood right. of our kinsmen and it cries out. Mm. And it's not happening. And that's why we got a white supremacist gathering in front of Robert E. Lee's statue. They're bail, okay? Yeah. Bowing down to the altar of whiteness. That's what's happening right now. Mm. You know, and so, and so we need to get serious about this. And if the church wasn't um, so afraid to actually learn from unbelievers, we might actually get somewhere. Okay. And understand and really put a high premium on this common grace and understanding we can learn from other people and take, take the, the meat and spit out the bones. I mean, are we thinking yeah. people or are we not? But you I'm know, not. but you know what it can mean, but you know, it's, it's, it's not that going we, off. I was, no, no, no. Going off. <laughs> but, but, you, but you know what? It's, it's not that we don't understand common grace yes, it's not that exactly. because it just exactly. depends on who's saying it because I live in a country that has monuments to deists that, that own well, people. Come on. So I know there that we go. can hear things from all kinds of people. Of course True. we can. True. If there's something about certain groups of people exactly. that they have exactly. to check every box the way that you want them to check yes. it in order to identify with your view of orthodoxy, which is right. different than biblical orthodoxy, in order for them to have any space, so, space whatsoever to say anything to you. So I know we can hear from people from a common grace standpoint, it's just that certain people we've decided we can't hear from them unless they check many, many boxes for us. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's our racialized reality, right? So yep. If, yeah. we, if we can hear from the quote unquote brilliance of Thomas Jefferson, well, mm-hmm. then I'm going to say that we can hear from the skilled diagnostic work of Malcolm X. Of course we can. Speak of course on. we can. Yes. He wasn't a human trafficker. Of course That's right. we can hear from him. So the fact that we have to even push into spaces like that is just a reflection of how normalized white supremacy is yes. and how vilified black identity is in a country that has profited off a race-based caste system. That, um, mm-hmm. So we, we can do a lot of things when we want to. And can we quickly talk about the reverse and its impact on evangelism? Look, it is so much easier to seek correction against people with whom you have no connection. Let's just face Mm -hmm. the facts there. Mm -hmm. Just for like 14 seconds. Come on. If I already don't want to connect with you, then I can easily make it my life's work to correct you. And that's mm. how we treat event. Good Lord. That's how I don't know about y'all's churches, but that's how my church network does new members class. Here are the mm. Catholics and here's everything that they're wrong about. Here are well. the Baptists and here's everything that they're wrong about. Mm. Um, Help us. Am, am, I, am I not going to see the beating them in heaven? I, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that they was uh, going to hell because they, Baptist. I didn't know that correction has to come before connection. And I, I might not have figured that out, maybe because I was looking to Jesus to try to figure out um, mm-hmm. how I should treat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we have so deeply 
idolized and like y'all said, normalized a supremacist notion that even amidst our own black brothers and sisters, we only correct the people with whom we have no desire to break bread with. Mm. So we're actually uh-huh. disobeying the example of Christ. And that is to break bread with the very people that only the Holy Spirit can lead us to desire to be in their presence. That's so good. I think that's a really important point to bring out and just to sit in that for a yeah. little bit. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. No, And I, I'm glad you brought up the fellowship and breaking bread because my soul does cry out when I think about brother Malcolm and I think about what is it that kept him from Christianity? Mm -hmm. And don't tell me predestination and all that. Don't tell me that. I know. Stop it. No, 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 no. I'm mostly because we don't it's, control that. Can we get over it? Don't talk to it's me about that. I, I know all that. Okay. So. It's possible to believe that predestination is both real and right. that no human is in charge of it. Can right. we have both of those can at the same time? Help us, nuance. And so, <laughs> yeah, we can do this. We can oh. walk and chew gum at the same time. And so, <laughs> what is it though? It was racism, okay? Mm. That is the seed ground. White supremacy is the seed ground for, wow. upon which the nation of Islam was founded. What are you talking about? For sure. <laughs> when and it, this theme kept on coming up within his book, within his works about a white Jesus with blue eyes and blonde hair mm. or dusty hair, whatever you want to call it. Now, I personally am against iconography, period, okay? Mm. Point blank, because... Jesus ain't leave no selfie. So we re- actually don't know exactly what, what he looked like. But I do know that he wasn't a white man with blue eyes. Okay? And so I know that. So, so that's that. But if we gonna draw him, let's try, okay, to get close. So, but, but really, I, I mean, really, though, this is the thing. I don't think people understand that racism it has an eternal impact on people's yes, souls. They are, this is a stumbling block and separates people from Christ when they cannot see themselves and when they see, and when whiteness, right, becomes the standard upon which you baptize the gospel. Come on. What? What do you do? What do you do when you're black as night (laughs) and you're saying, Jesus watched me white as snow and I was black as, no, like what's happening? You know, and so there's, so that is a very real impact of that. And so, so my, my soul cries out and and I weep every time I, I watch, you know, Malcolm X because I'm like, dag, you know, like this man was brilliant. What would it have meant for him to actually work from a Christian worldview that actually does talk about the fact that his blackness is in the image of God? Because we don't just simply bear the image of God, right? As male and female, we actually are the image of God, all of us together collectively, you know? And so what does that mean though? And how come he couldn't see that? Because whiteness and white supremacy was standing in his way okay and yes there's other spiritual dimensions and all that okay yes but when it comes back down to it that's what happened malcolm's father was killed okay by black knights in hoods cowards in the hoods okay his mother was sent to the um to um the psychiatric ward institution you know and this man endured a lot of trauma racial trauma Well, and if you think he was about called even, a nigger every day of his life. Yeah, Are you, you serious? If you think about By his Christians. early childhood experience, right? Going to your teacher and saying, yeah. hey, 
I mm-hmm. want I want to be a lawyer. And if there's yeah. anybody in history in the last 100 years who could have been an exceptional lawyer, Come on. it would have been yeah. Max, okay? Right. Yeah. And so so when I think about, you know, a Thurgood Marshall, right, who was able yep. to go in, into those spaces, but and a Malcolm X, he goes to his teacher and she says, no, they, they say that's an unrealistic for who you are. And then, you know, of course, yeah. the racial slurs fly, yeah. right? That's an early childhood experience in shaping who this man became, right? And from there, who was a good middle school student goes down a criminal trajectory, right? So there are just, there's consequences to bigotry. Mm -hmm. There are just consequences. We just have to own it. And um, it is, I'm with you, Akimni. It it grieves me because I think Malcolm X for me is a snapshot of, of, thousands if not millions of men of color mm. in our country right now mm-hmm. right philly, now right now in baltimore right who, now who, philly who right are now. not mm. who are like nope i i can't i can't do christianity can't i can't do, come right? into that church i i i, I can't go there that's, that's right. real um i don't understand what they're saying about manhood in those spaces they got this mm-hmm. white jesus up there they, and if we really love those people <clears throat> and we love god's word we would do the work of dismantling every barrier, every extra biblical barrier that's getting in the Amen. way of people seeing God and his grace. That's right. Um, and ultimately, of course, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. But certainly we are held accountable for the ways in which we create boulders, barriers, and, and bars to people accessing the grace that God has given to this world. So mm-hmm. um, it is it's deeply, deeply sad. And see, talk yeah, a little bit about, I mean, in terms of yeah. what alternative was Malcolm left with? I mean, you know, not sure. to really deny uh, the goodness and the truth that he still experienced and, and left us with. But because of these barriers, he turned mm-hmm. where? He entered mm-hmm. into spaces, you know, that had what impact, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Sure. Absolutely. But well, you, you think about Malcolm X uh, going into prison and then mm. being approached by the nation of Islam. And what I tell people right. all the time is, look, if, if, if contemporary made in America Christianity will not address questions that are very real to people, people will go wherever they can get questions addressed, period. Yes. <laughs> They're going to go to where they can get questions addressed. I work mm-hmm. with, you know, college age students. They're in a place longing to get big, huge questions addressed and if we cannot answer those questions and typically they are relational horizontal questions why is there injustice why do i feel this way why am i unseen if we don't address those questions then spaces that are willing to offer an answer whether that answer is accurate or not are going to be highly appealing and especially when you think about the nation of islam right you think about a space that's saying let me tell you who you are black man who you are in your family, who you are in society, who approximates, right, and puts into conversation black nationalism or black supremacy with white supremacy. So that becomes the way we're going to push back on white supremacy, which is real, and there are very real questions about it. We're going to give you an answer. It's not the right answer. The answer should have been, right, you know, the, the beauty and the honor of the Imago Dei. But, but that's not the answer that was given to him, right? Right. The, the right. answer was this was to put his identity uh, in a place of pursuing mm-hmm. um, really a black idolatry, mm-hmm. right, versus mm-hmm. a white idolatry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, when people have questions, they're going to try to find an answer wherever they can get it. It is the responsibility of God's people to be ready 
to give an account, to give a testimony for the hope that we have. That in a practical sense, that is being able to answer very real questions of people who are in this world. Yes, yes. And if you don't have that robust theological anthropology, right? And if you don't think black people are human, then you can't answer those very real questions. Wow. And that's and that's when we got to get that's when the rubber meets the road. That's when we find out, man, what what how does this orthodoxy work out itself? Like in very practical yeah. ways when the rubber hits the road, can you answer these questions for for people that are struggling and are hurting, uh-huh. right? Which is what um brother Malcolm, you know, endured so much trauma in his life you know so i mean i know we could keep on going on (laughs) uh, about this because there were i mean you could go into the nation of islam and a lot of the uh you know the sexism and the issues there um and the fact that he was even assassinated right by this, this this very the nation of islam the, i mean he laid down his life right <laughs> for right. for this um this belief system and this um, religion for so long and and was betrayed um but you know we're at our time now um but <laughs> i do thank you all for sharing you know what it what you know what brother malcolm means to you and i do hope that people do begin to press in and really interrogate their own fears of learning more about uh about malcolm x so i'm glad that we were able to at least discuss it and to be able to lift up uh the ways that he's impacted us uh uh, for the good and and hopefully more will begin to learn uh, from him too. So thank you all so much. Um, and it was a pleasure to bring Brother Malcolm to the table. And so we want to thank our listeners for taking a seat at the table with us this week. Let's keep the conversation going. Do tweet us your thoughts about uh, Brother Malcolm uh, using the Truths Table hashtag. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truths Table or email us your thoughts at asktruthstable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on the Satchel Podcast Player. Truth's Table is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit Pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio on entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York. And we have been your hosts, McKemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth's Table. 